Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. And with many other words did he testify, referring to Peter. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word, that is Peter's word, his message, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And a fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Would you say amen to God's word? Amen. You may be seated here this morning just for a little, a little while. <clears throat> I'd like to share some thoughts from this passage on this is our life. This is our life. I'd like you to think about it for a moment. Again, we begin to verse 40, and I want you to go there. But think about it for a moment. It's been a momentous day. As a matter of fact, it's been a momentous few months in the city of Jerusalem. They have experienced something that never has been done before and will never again be repeated. It's a unique time, a unique hour. God God in flesh has been walking among the people. Mm. And he has come and made his final entrance in Jerusalem riding upon a donkey. And as he came in, the donkey would signify peace because he came in peace and he cleansed the temple. He came like a refiner's fire and he cleansed the temple and he prophesied to the people and he shared things that he has had not shared hitherto a prophecy when he as leaves the temple one day. He will prophesy of end time events that are going to come. He'll give a couple of prophecies, one at the temple and one on the Mount of Olives a little bit later. And it's just a tremendous time. There's, there are no doubt miracles, but the greatest thing that marks his final days were not so much the miracles, but his teaching, his word, his prophecy, his, his confidence. He's getting ready to die, and yet he has confidence. He's getting ready to be cruelly mistreated, and yet he's not down and depressed. He's upbeat. He's, he 
he's sharing with the people and he's teaching them about things to come. And then finally will come that dark night of his crucifixion and that hour. And they will have an unprecedented eclipse of the sun. Three hours of darkness, no doubt so thick you could cut it with a knife, uh, indicating the blackness of the battle that was going on on the cross uh, as Christ is hanging there between heaven and earth, uh, making reconciliation, reconciling God unto man. He hung suspended between the heaven and the earth, and there He will make an atonement for our sins. It will be a difficult hour. They will have an earthquake at the end of when He dies and He and He gives up the ghost, so to speak. The earth will shake. The rocks will rend. And I think about what had happened here a few days, a week or so before that, when they had fussed at the children and others that were praising Christ and Jesus. And they said, why don't you tell them to be quiet? And He said, I tell you that if these do not say anything, the rocks will cry out. Well, they took that Lord and crucified Him. And when He died, the rocks cried out. I will tell you the earth was shaking and the, and the whole planet shook under the load of what had taken place upon that day. Three days later, it will happen again. When He raises from the dead, there will be another earthquake. Two earthquakes in three days. I don't know what they were on the Richter scale, but I know one thing. God shook the planet. He shook the planet when He died and He shook it when He rose again. Hallelujah. And it's a tremendous thing. The most memorable Passover they've ever had because this Passover will not be merely for the Jews. It'll be for all men because here the Lamb of God has been offered. Wonderful, wonderful and tremendous days. And then what will happen is about 50 days after that Passover, after that event of crucifixion, 47 days or so after the resurrection, there is going to come this advent of the Spirit. And now the sound from heaven, the rushing mighty wind filling the house and the power of God filling the place. And 3,000 people are going to get saved. A tremendous occasion. But you have to ask the question at that point. And here, here is my, my question. That here has been this moment momentous event. The Lord having been among them for three and a half years teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Dying and then resurrecting. Going to the right hand of God. Sending the Holy Ghost. Birthing the church. And one would ask the question, now what? This is a new group of people. This is a new thing that's never been done. This is what has now come to be called the church of Jesus Christ. It has come into the existence the very first time. Now the church is upon the earth. What is it going to do? What are we going to see from it? What has taken place and what are they going to now do? And I want to look at that because those things that are spoken about it, it's who we are. We are still that church and our life still needs to be doing the same thing that they did in that day. And I want to take a look at that for a moment. 
First of all, I'd like you to go to verse 40 again. And I want to notice these are words that are often glossed over out of Peter's message. We focus a lot on Peter saying, this is the uh, uh, that which Joel's prophesied about. I'll pour out my spirit in the last days. We focus a lot on the fact that he preached about Christ and, and, and his crucifixion. And he judged that generation for crucifying the Lord. But not too many want to mention this, uh, that Peter preached a lot of things that day that were not written in Acts chapter 2. His message was longer than what's recorded. And the Bible said that the gist of that, Luke will sum it up for us. Uh, He testified to them. Uh, He exhorted them. He called them to come near. He witnessed to them of the realities uh, of what Christ had put into his spirit. And three and a half years under the ministry of Christ, uh, he's telling them what's going on and testifying uh, and witnessing to them and saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. What does this word untoward mean? It's not a word. It's an old English word, archaic. It's not used anymore in our, in our modern day English. It's, it's, it's an old term, if you will. But it, it is it's made up of two words. There's the word un and toward. Now we know what typically we use toward uh, is, is the idea of going uh, somewhere. But the, it was also to ward was made up of two English words, to and ward. A ward was that which was gone. Uh, 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 something that was uh, 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 symbolized, or I should say spoke about something that was protected and guarded. You talk about putting something in ward, if you will. It was something that was what was being protected. But here is the idea it came to mean this idea of, of going towards something or, or, or going in a particular direction. That there was a, a destiny and there was a direction and you're going toward, you're going in that particular direction. An untoward generation, uh, an untoward is the idea of the opposite of that. Uh, Instead of going in that clear, defined direction, it is something that's gotten off course. Uh, It literally means, became to mean something that was crooked or perverse, uh, something that was warped or twisted. It was no longer in a clear direction. It's going every which way, moving this way and that way. It's untoward. It has has no clear destiny. It has no, no clear direction, if you will. And so Peter looked at his generation. He looked at his generation he was living in. And he said, I'm living in an untoward generation. I'm living in a crooked generation. I'm living in a perverse age. He looked at the culture and he said, it's warped. He looked at the religious world. He said, it's twisted. He looked at the government and said, it's all out of sorts. And it's no longer going going in a clear direction that it ought to be going. I want us to note three things from this passage quickly. Talking back to chapter 2, early a little bit in this passage, I want you to go down to verse 12, if you will. These are familiar verses, but I want to draw something about them because what is it? Just some things we can see that it happened even on this day that indicate that crookedness and that perversity. In verse 12, he says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? 
Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Now you know that, and that's very clear to us, but we've said it, we've preached about that many times, but I want you to think about this for a moment, that the Spirit of God has descended. God, the third person of the Trinity, has descended and manifested His presence. He has filled 120 people, and He has got 120 light bulbs, and He's turned on in the earth, and they are filled with His presence. His presence is being manifested by the speaking of tongues, and He is, is, is voicing through these vessels praise and glory to God. He has manifested Himself in fire and the sound of a rushing mighty wind. In other words, there is the felt manifest presence of God in the city of Jerusalem. Oh, glory. Right now, these people are looking at them. They've got to be feeling that. They've got to be feeling what's coming from these 120 folks that are speaking in tongues. And you know, the only thing they can come up with is that, you know, they're drunk and they must be full of new wine. It's a sad day when you think the presence of God is nothing more than a feeling. When you think the presence of God is the same thing you can get from a drunk. And it's the same thing you can get from going down to the tavern and filling yourself with beer and liquor. It's just another thrill. It's just another emotional moment. It's a bad thing when God can be manifest and people don't know it's God. When God's in the house and they don't know that He's there. When the culture cannot recognize the presence of God, it's warped. It's twisted. Look at this again in verse 15. Peter now will begin to tell them they're not drunken. It's not what you think it is. And then he begins to tell them what it is. That these things are going to happen in the last days. I'll pour out my spirit. Peter is going to tell them this is the last day. And he talks about how the sun will be turned in the darkness and the moon is going to be turned into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter is going to tell them this is a manifestation of the Spirit, but he's going to let them know this is a new age, all right? See, what happened on the day of Pentecost is God introduced a new age. There is now going to be an age of grace. This is a time when God is going to pour out His Spirit. It's a time when men can call upon the name of the Lord. It's a time also when there are going to be signs and wonders that are going to point to a day that's coming. There is this age that God is going to give and in this age he's going to touch people with the spirit and he's going to point people to the fact that his wrath is coming upon the earth there's a day of judgment coming the notable day that dark day that prophesied day of the Lord is coming upon this earth and we need to understand that the Lord in this time is ushering in a final hour it's the last days and I'm telling you it's a crooked generation that cannot discern the time in which they live. If we've ever lived in a generation that doesn't know how close we are to the coming of the Lord, we're in that generation. If we've ever had a nation that is so far removed from understanding that the wrath of God is about to be poured out upon this planet, we're in that generation. We are in a perked and perverse generation when there's a time when people cannot discern the hour in which they live, it, it is an untoward generation. 
Watch verse 22. Then he tells them, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. Catch that. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. They are conscious of this. He said, what you have done in the last part of verse 23, ye have taken and thy wicked hands have crucified and slain. It's a crooked and perverse generation when your hearts are so hard that you disapprove of what God approves of. God has approved of Jesus and they disapproved of Him. God sent Him and they crucified Him. God sent Him and He healed them and He opened their blinded eyes and He caused their lame to walk. He blessed their babies. He calmed their storms. He cleansed their leprosy. He raised their dead. He healed healed their sick bodies. He rebuked their fever. He opened up their deaf ears. He healed them of all their hemorrhaging and all of their difficulties and sicknesses and infirmities. He delivered them from the power of darkness. He cast the devil out of their lives. And what was their response? Nail him to a tree. What was their response? Kill him. Get rid of him. It is a crooked age when you take your best and you nail it to a tree. It's a crooked age. Whenever you take that which God says, this is what I approve of, and you say, I'll have nothing to do with it. I ask you, take those three things. How many people today do you know that if you put them in a place where the presence of God is truly manifest, they wouldn't even recognize it for what it was? I've had him come in this church. We have time and again. And the presence of God has filled this place. And they can laugh, cut up, and think, these folks are weird. I'm talking about church-going people, too. It's a crooked age when we don't know what time it is. How many people do you talk on the street today that understand the wrath of God's about to come upon this land, upon this earth. Very few people today understand that we're this close. I'm telling you, I'm telling you this coming week, the seals could be broken. And the Lord could unleash. And the four horse riders out of Revelation 6 could become. A po- oh, glory to the Lamb of God. I'm telling you, the Antichrist could come on the scene next week. Yes, sir. Rapture could happen today. And Jesus Christ could begin tomorrow unloosing the seven seals upon this planet. And usher in a time of darkness like this place has never known. That is that close. And this world has no clue that it's around the corner. How much nationally are we approving of of what God approves of? No. With the change, one vote, one vote, and we go from saving babies to destroy them. It tells you that the heart of America is not changed. When just one person in office can make the difference between abortion going hog wild and, and multiplying or 
efforts to shut it down that tells you how dark our country is and how perverted and how warped because we are not willing to approve of what God clearly approves of. We're in an untoward generation. And let me tell you something. The reason you sit here today is because you one day heard the message and you received the message that said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Save yourself from the generation that doesn't know the presence of God. Save yourself from the generation that doesn't approve of what God approves of. Save yourself from the generation that is warped and twisted and doesn't know the wrath that is coming down the pike. Save yourself. And you said, I believe, I receive it. And when that took place, you came out of that crooked age. God made you straight. And you're sitting here today and you're living for Jesus Christ because you got saved out of that mess. The crowd that I'm talking to today is the crowd that heard that message and said, I want out. I see the generation is crooked and I want out. Now watch this. What did they then do? Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. This is idea of continuing steadfastly is the idea of Devoting yourself to something, of being diligent, becoming dedicated, something that you put a lot of energy in, something that becomes your focus. It becomes your, your absolute greatest concentration of effort is put upon this. And he mentions four things that they continued in or that they dedicated themselves to. What are you going to do now? That you've been set straight. That you've come out of that crooked generation. What are you going to do now? They gave themselves to four things. Number one, they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine. This is an amazing thing. They heard the gospel from an apostle and they gave themselves to the teaching of those same apostles. Do you notice something that when they got saved, they never went to the religious establishment and said, okay, we need to all get registered in the schools of the rabbis. Hey, we've got saved now. We need to all go down and figure out how that we become religious. No, sir. They felt the anointing. They surrendered to that message it said save yourself and they said hey tell us more if we're going to save ourselves, tell us now how to be straight and they went and you know what they did on a daily basis they went and they sat down it was in the temple it was in their houses and they sat there they didn't have a bible to take the church no sir very few people had anything and so they listened to these men that were fishermen that were tax collectors men that were publicans, men that had been political zealots, and they said, teach us, tell us, ah, glory, tell us about this Jesus, tell us about this straight life, tell us about this age we live in, tell us about how we can live a life that is straight and not warped and twisted and crooked and perverse, tell us about the presence of the Holy Ghost and about God so that we can desire Discern and know our Lord. Yes. 
we have to continually give ourselves to teaching. What has drawn us back here? This is our life. People think we're nuts. It is said, I've heard it said that COVID, 45% of people have quit going to church. If you could quit going to church because of COVID permanently, I'm just going to tell you something. I don't think you were saved to start with. Because if you'd been saved out of that untoward generation, you realize something. I still need teaching. I still need to hear it because I'm bombarded by the crooked. I'm bombarded by the perverse. I live among it every day. I see it on the news. I'm surrounded by it. I need to go someplace I can sit down and hear somebody teach me. Tell me some more. Tell me some more about the God of heaven, about the blessed Holy Ghost and the age of Christ that is coming upon this earth. Tell me some more. When there's no desire to hear the teaching of God's word. When there's no desire to hear somebody open that book and explain and expound and tell us about the great king that we serve, about the times in which we live, and about the principles of God and what he approves of and what he likes and what he dislikes. Because we don't want to get mixed up in that junk that's out there and become crooked like they are. We need the teaching of God's word. That's our life. Our life is a constant diet of the word of God that's what pulls us back here that's why we said we're going to have church we know folks will come tired we know some folks will come still struggling from the sickness and we know some are still sick and cannot come we understand that but there's our life and our life is such that we don't thrive on news we're not fed by the pipeline of social media we're not fed we're not strengthened through what comes from a word over here and there we need the doctrine we need the teaching we need that which comes from the word of God. Secondly was fellowship. They continued in fellowship. This fellowship is a word, Greek word, which means partnership. It means a joint participation. So it's, it's more than when we think of fellowship, sometimes, many times today, we think of a get-together, what we call a get-together a party, a meal. And that can certainly be part of it. But you know what? You can have a family reunion and not have fellowship. You can have a party and not have fellowship. Yes. This is more than just people coming together. This is more than, hey, let's just come together and eat a meal and play ball and play some games and have a good time. And, and basically, we had some entertainment. may have been good. It may have been wholesome. But it wasn't really fellowship. 
Fellowship is the idea, again, where there is a partnership. You know, when you're in a partnership with somebody, it's share and share alike. When you have two men uh, who have come together and put their names on the line, they go into business together, and they say, we're going to partner in this. And they put in this an investment into that thing. You know what? If that partnership and that business is blessed and it grows, they share in the blessing. You know, if that thing goes downhill, they share in the bankruptcy. They share in the pain. If it gets a good reputation, they share in the glory. If it gets a bad reputation, they share in the bad reputation. It doesn't matter whatever goes on in that partnership. It affects both of them because they're both involved in the same thing. They both want that thing to succeed. They both want that thing to go in the same direction. I'm telling you, when God saved us and we got out of that George, or that perverse untoward generation. He united us. What draws us together is not merely our religious leaning. It's not just something that you and I just share some things and we like each other and we're good friends. No, sir. We're moving in the same direction. We're on the same page. We're doing the same thing. We're praying to the same God. We're worshiping the same Lord. We want to wind up at the same place. We want to see the world saved for the name of Jesus Christ and we have fellowship. They continued in this joint venture. You see, when you get saved, you get a new crowd that you become part of. And if you get saved and can still run with the old crowd, you never got saved. Because when you get saved, you get hooked up. You get joined. You get partnered with a whole group of people. So you're going in the same direction they're going now. And you're, there's something that pulls us together. I saw it this morning. And it wasn't just a, hey, I hadn't seen you for a long time thing. I saw it when folks walked through the door, faces lit up. Oh, it's just good to see you. Hey, that's more than just a, I miss you, brother. I tell you what it is. It's that same Holy Ghost that lives in me and lives in you. Woo, glory to the Lamb of God. Tomorrow, we can be shouting on the streets of glory together. Yes, sir. Hey, brother, we're in this thing. We felt your pain. We felt your sickness. We felt your weakness. We felt what's going on in the country. But we're together. We haven't lost it. We're still moving on for Jesus. Hallelujah. We're in a fellowship. Maybe I could, if I changed it to say it as it is literally in the Greek, they continued in the fellowship. We use that word fellowship in another way. And it's used as, as a, a group of people that are united around a common cause. The uh, used to be called, I think it was called the International Order of Odd Fellas, but it was a, called a fellowship. There was different groups, they called themselves a fellowship. 
This is a fellowship of, of these men and women. In other words, you're a group of people that has been joined together for a common purpose. And that's what we are. That's our life. We are connected and we cannot break that, my friend. We can't just toss that aside. I don't come to church just because this is my job. No, sir. I come here because I am pulled. I am together. I am joined unto you. Thirdly, he said in the breaking of bread. This breaking of bread is, particular phrase is only used twice by Luke. Once maybe here indicating that idea of what we call the Lord's Supper. But it was used at the end of Luke's gospel when there are two men on the road to Emmaus. And they have, Jesus has come after his resurrection on the day he's resurrected. And, and he's walking with them and expounding the word. And they don't know who he is. And, and when they get to the place where they want to go, Jesus looks like he's going to go on. And they say, please come in with us. Please, please, please. And he goes in and sits down. And there was no worship here. There was just, a, hey, common hospitality. They invited that man into their home. And they said, put some bread on the table. And so when they sit down to get the bread. Now normally they're the host. It's their house, not the Lord's. They're the host. And normally they would be the ones who would break the bread. And they sit down, but when they put the bread on the table, Jesus picked it up. And he broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. And they say, hey, this is the Lord. And immediately he disappears from their sight. But that breaking of bread, here is the thing. It was something that took place in the house. It was something that took place in the home and it transformed the meal from being a common time in which you would just fill your belly to be a time which you would be grateful and you would thank God for what God has given you and it would be a time which you would remember the Lord and what he has done and that that bread that you ate would be reminiscent of the spiritual food that you draw from him and the spiritual life that you draw from him. It's tough for us sometimes because we get so used to it. I'm guilty of it. We sit down at a meal and really the only thing on our mind is filling our belly. But yet we, we, we still take time to stop for a moment and recognize and give God thanks for what he has given us. And, 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 and then we break that bread together. But what's the idea? I want you to know what the gospel did. It transformed the houses. It transformed the homes so that even the meal becomes a common a time in which it becomes sacred. It becomes a time where you remember what God has done for us, that we're able to enjoy this meal oh, as a blessing from God because the king of the earth has saved us and brought us out of our sin. And we're able to eat bread with the Lord. They broke bread with Jesus. It says this. It says that God's coming to live with you. The gospel transformed their homes. The gospel brought Jesus home to every house. It's mentioned here every day they're breaking bread. In their homes. You didn't do that in the street. That's done at your kitchen table. Every day at the kitchen table, they're breaking bread and remembering that they are in step with God. If your home ever got changed when you got saved, you didn't get saved. Because salvation will change your life. Sinners typically don't pray over their meals. 
They eat, they grab it and go. But the Christian stops and says, it's time to break bread. It's time to remember. Glory to the Lamb of God. It's time to give thanks unto God. Hallelujah. Because this gospel, when you get out of that crooked generation, your home gets right. Your home gets straight. And every common thing becomes an act of worship before God Almighty. The fourth thing was prayers. Prayers. That's an interesting thing. Prayers. All kinds of prayers. Prayers for that are just worship. Prayers that are communion. Prayers that are intercession. Prayers that are, are supplication unto God. Bringing petitions unto all kinds of prayers. But what characterized these people is that when you're with them, they pray all the time. They pray. You know what, really, when you think sometimes how much of our church services, how much of our life is marked by prayer? How much of your home is marked by prayer? How much time do you spend in a week before the Lord God in prayer? Prayer ought to mark everything that we do. There's just something about these people because you see prayer has been elevated now. The day that they got saved and they come out of that untoward generation. Guess what? There's a new way that's been opened up. There's a new highway into the throne room of heaven. Jesus has opened a door of access into the throne of God. He has invited men to a throne of grace. He said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall knock. Knock or find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Here they are now before the Lord and they've gotten saved out of that crooked generation. Now what do you do? You speak your life at the throne asking and receiving. Now they are making a difference in their world because they pray. This is their power. The doctrine is their life, their practice, their principles by which they're going to learn by which they're going to walk and conduct themselves. The fellowship is their unity and their strength, bringing them together in one purpose so that they're not just a bunch of disconnected individuals doing something, but they're a force united. The breaking of bread is, the, is that which has transformed their homes so that it's not just in the body when they're together, but in their individual homes the Lord is present at even their table. The Lord is present. But their power, their power is in prayer. The government is against them. The government has crucified their Lord. The religious establishment is against them. The world has turned on them. They think they're a bunch of drunken fools. How are they going to overcome? They have no social advantage. They have no political advantage. They have no intellectual advantage. They have no cultural advantage. Everything's against them. They have no clout anywhere. They have no people in high places they can refer to and help them. How are they going to survive? How are they going to preach their message? How are they going to go out and build with such little resources they have? They've got one power. God's given them an open door and said, the door to my 
throne is open. Whatever you need, you come and ask. Whatever it is in my purpose, in my plan, that you need to fulfill my mission, all you got to do is ask me. And now, oh, go into the Lamb of God. How do I know we're going to overcome COVID? Because I prayed. How do I know we're going to rise up again in power and victory? Because we pray and we ask God for it. Woo! Hallelujah. That's our life. That's our life. Teach me the word. Join me with these people. Let my home be transformed. And let me have access to God's throne. How do I know we'll win over Biden? Because we're going over his head. We're going to pray. Well, they're going to tell you not to do it. It's all right. We're going to pray. Let the heathen rage. Let the people imagine a vain thing. Let the kings of the earth set themselves. Let the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. <laughs> ah, it's all right. He that sits in the heavens will laugh. The Lord will have them in derision. And then he'll speak to them. Ah, he'll speak to them in his wrath. He'll vex them in his sore displeasure. Ah, and then he will say, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. He said, I will declare unto me thee. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son this day. Have I begotten thee? Ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. He said, You'll break them with the rod of iron. You'll dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That becomes our power. Pray to the God who owns it all. Do not let COVID take that from you. Don't you forget the power of prayer. Quickly, I close. What does this life produce? What kind of atmosphere? What is it when these people have this kind of lifestyle? How do they act? What, what is their disposition? He says, the result of this is that when they devoted themselves to hearing God's word, learning, they devoted themselves to the body and fellowship, they devoted themselves to making the common things sacred, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Fear came upon every soul. Signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. It produces a godliness. Now I'm just going to tell you something. Get this. These are the four things that are our life. Okay? Our life comes from the Word. Our life comes from this body. Our life comes from our personal devotion at home. Our life comes through prayer. That's our life. If the devil is going to destroy our life, he's going to break in on those areas. He wants to shut down your prayer time. He wants to separate you from this body. He wants you to turn your house into a circus. 
and he wants to get you away from hearing God's word. If he can turk us away from those four things, then our life source will begin to die. Yes, our fruit will begin to sour on the vine and we will become a dead branch that will soon have to be broken off and cast into the fire to be burned. Why are we going to come back together? Why are we going to crank up church? Why are we going to? Because I'll tell you why. Because we got to get back in the Word. Because that's where we draw our life from. We got to pray together. We got to stay together. We got to keep our homes right. We got to hear the Word of God because that's our life. And if you don't have those four things, you will not produce the fear of God. There'll be no godliness. There'll be no oneness. He said they all had everything in common. This is a, you've heard this before, but just think for a moment. This is a tremendous time. They're, they're in Jerusalem from all over the world. They've come there for Pentecost. They've come there for all over the world. They didn't plan to stay in Jerusalem. But they got saved on the day of Pentecost. Oh, yeah. What you going to do? Peter says this. Somewhere, someone said, it, we're not leaving. Yeah. And you know what? The Bible didn't say that they got saved and went home. They didn't get saved and go back to their countries. They didn't get saved and go back to their homes in other lands. They got saved and they stayed in Jerusalem because they stayed in the apostles' doctrine and the apostles never left town. Yep. They didn't say, we're saved, let's go home and start a church. No. We're saved. We can't go home. We got to learn more. We got to get settled. We got to get grounded. We got many folks in this church that's done it. I can point fingers around this room. First pew right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Back there. Right there. If there were others here, I could point the fingers all around this room. People that have sold homes and moved right here because this is where they have heard the gospel where they can get taught the word of the Lord. Yeah. See, I, I've, I've told people, I don't understand this. I've watched people sometimes that they be in a good church. They're taught, they got the word of God and said, well, I got a good job and offer and I'm going to go to this town because I got a good job. Got a good job. What matters more to you, a good job or a good church? Do you have a good church where you're going? No, I don't know. I don't, have, I don't know anything there. What? I'll make more money. Make more money. Your life come from money? Come on, brother. My life comes from that word. My life comes from that fellowship. My life comes from that prayer. My life doesn't come from a better job. I can do with less money. I can't deal with less word. I can deal with less money. All over. They sold their homes. I'm not going back to it. They sold their homes over there in Crete where Barnabas is from. I'm not going back there. He sells it. Gives the money to the church. Found it. They didn't know Jerusalem. They had to open up their houses so people could come in and have a place to stay with them. Because, hey, we're building this church here. We're going to start by building a sanctuary. 
Woo, glory. We're going to build a church. And when we've got a church established, then we'll take the gospel out. You can think I'm crazy, but here's where we are. And I'm going to have to close this. Here's where we are. What are we going to do? we got Joe Biden in there. What are we going to do? We're probably not far off from a woman president. And that, that, if I didn't know God, that would scare the life out of me. Not just any woman. That's another story. Let me tell you what we're going to do. Tell you what we got to do. We're going to have to quit looking at America as a whole right now because it's over. If America has any hope of return, it will be by starting to build sanctuaries and locations. Build a strong church that has an impact on the community and affects local governments. And it becomes a sanctuary. And people come to there from other places. And they get there and they get settled and they get taught. And then they move out to their towns and they build a sanctuary. See, the church has become so worldly that it doesn't make a difference. Instead of creating a sanctuary, it just joins in that mess. That's all it does. But we've got to affect our town. And we need to build us a place where people can come from other places and experience the power of God. Discern the time in which they live. Woo, glory, hallelujah. And see the distinction between what it looks like to live a life of godliness compared to the quickness that's in that world. We're not going to be just a little different. We're going to be as different as the difference between a straight stick and a crooked stick. Oh, yes. Because we want them to come from all around. Because we give ourselves to this. And that's what we've got to do right here in Washington. we got to create a sanctuary. we got to have a place where the power of God is moving. And we're going to affect our local government. And from there, if God tarries, it can branch out. And if he gives us enough time, maybe we can reach our county. And then we can reach our state. And we can make an impact. But America as a whole is done. It's over, my friend. Cast it out. Jesus is coming. And the only hope we've got is to start over in one place and build the church of Jesus Christ. Glory to the Lamb of God. We got to give ourselves to those four things. Teaching God's word. Joining together, functioning as a body, making our homes a haven, and living in prayer. Stand to your feet this morning. I can't get past it. I keep trying to pray for this country as a whole. And I'm going to be honest with you, I felt the heavens are brass. I can't get anywhere. But God keeps telling me, folks on the church, I give you nine acres of ground. Build a church. Build a Bible school. Create a sanctuary. 
Put some people on a city council. <laughs> Put some people in a mayor's role. Oh, come on now. Anything wrong with that? No, sir. Get some sanctified Holy Ghost people sitting on a town council. Woo! Glory to the Lamb of God. Yeah, there might be other churches are going to reject us, but I'll tell you in the midnight hour, they'll know who to call when they need bread. Glory to the Lamb of God. When somebody's sick, they'll know the number. I'm going over to that church where they're crazy and they run around there. But there's miracles and the power of God is there. Hallelujah. There's a sanctuary and they're going to come from this state and that state and say, hey, I ain't got no church. I got nothing over here. Come on, brother. Come on, join us. Join this fellowship. God's going to grow us. That's where we're going to have to go until Jesus comes. And how far it will expand will depend on the time we have between now and the rapture. But I'm here to tell you, the Supreme Court's not going to be our Savior. Congress isn't going to be our Savior. And the White House isn't going to be our Savior. We have to ask God to help us right here in Washington. It's going to start by building a church, create a sanctuary, I want some of you folks to pray. God's going to put you on town councils. God's going to put you in the county governments. Yes, sir. And you're going to be there where you can influence. Oh, hallelujah. You're going to be a voice for God. And this church is going to be a place where people can come and be healed and experience deliverance and get taught and grow their homes. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, that's what we're going to have to do. And that's the only way you're going to turn it around. And if God would give us several years, we can maybe turn a nation. But if we don't, we would at least save our houses. Oh, hallelujah. If we don't, we would at least save some families. <laughs> because the wrath of God's coming on this world. The judgment is coming. Jesus is coming. This is our life. This is. Uh, would you raise your hand this morning and give him praise? Woo! Glory. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to the Lamb of God. Runa rame potoshiko ya rima rama mama mama shuta yeleme kuta rama mama yina la la mama 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 boshoto rame ya woo takomo yene me si kumanama ure me mati sene rame kutosi. Uremendido Ramasico Ramapaposo Doramapanda. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Saints of God, I feel this strong in my spirit today. The devil's trying to derail us. But we're not going to be derailed. No discouraged. We're going to put our energies in building this church. It's going to take sacrifice. 27 years ago, I did it. I had no idea what I was coming to. I had no guarantee of a check. I had no idea what I would make. I just knew God said, go build a church in Washington. And God called a family out of Florida, a lap family, come and join us. And then God called some local people out of their churches to build a church. And little by little, we're here. It's going to take that same sacrifice because our country hadn't got better. It's got worse. And holiness hasn't grown across this country. It's diminished. And I'm just going to be bold enough in these coming days, I believe, to tell some folks when they call me. Brother Woods, I don't have anything. I'm going to tell them, move. God's here moving in Washington. Get in this church. And if we can build a strong enough church here, it's bursting out at the seams. We can train ministers. But if you're just one family in a city, forget it. Move out and let it burn. And come build some place. Come to the sanctuary. Woo! Hallelujah. I feel that this morning. I feel the Holy Ghost. That's what we're going to be. We've got to become a sanctuary. We don't need to be a worldly church because that ain't going to save anybody. We need, they need to come to a place where they can hear the unadulterated word. They need to come to a place where people are living right. You say, but brother, what's people don't want to live like this. They don't want to dress like this. They ain't going to hear us. No, the boats of the people aren't. But there's some folks looking for a haven. There's some folks looking for something different. They want out of this mess. They want to be saved from this untoward generation. You can find a lookalike church anywhere. But you can't find holiness anywhere. And you can't find this separated life anywhere. So you be encouraged. Because we're going to preach. And we're going to build a sanctuary right here. That's what Jerusalem did. He never saved that church and scattered them. He waited until they built a sanctuary. And they had a strong crowd. And then they began to affect the world. And America's hope is that we start over and do it again.